Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today's guest is Rebecca Kelly, who runs Venue Scanner. Now, the pandemic affected all of us in different ways, but it probably impacted Rebecca more than most of us as she was running an events company at the time. She came on my radar thanks to the interview we did with Greg Marsh at the start of the year, where we did the Pass the Mic section. Greg is one of the UK's most renowned entrepreneurs, having started one fine stay, exiting it to a core hotels, and now runs Nows. So without further ado, on to Rebecca Kelly of Venue Scanner. Rebecca, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be here. So the name Venue Scanner, it's a little bit like Ronsell in terms of it does what it says on the tin, but <laughs> come on, give us the reason why you're behind it and what it actually does as well. Totally stole it from Skyscanner, <laughs> which didn't go amiss from their founder either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, um, yeah, when we first started, sort of first 24 hours, we were like, what can we name it? Venue Scanner, there's a Skyscanner for everything, uh, for flights, you know, booking.com hotels and Skyscanner, Venue Scanner felt like a good, um, a good fit. I think definitely went the does what it says on the tin. Um, although lots of people when we first started thought that it was like a scanner, um, a paper uh, scanner. Like a barcode scanner. <laughs> yeah. And so tell us the origin story of it. How did you start it? So it was around 2016 um, when concept first started. I, I was working at MS at the time and met my co-founder there. We were working together and um, I was that the kind of very keen grad at that point in time that was like, I'll do everything. <laughs> and one of those things ended up being organizing, you know, the offsite meetings, like fashion shows, our company Christmas party, some party, et cetera. Um, and so in that had a lot of personal experience of trying to find a book space, which at that point in time, there really wasn't anything online that made it easy to do that. And I ended up calling around all of our agencies who had kind of creative space and having like notes everywhere. And I was like, this process is insane. Um, all I want to do is just book a venue. And we often ended up in like the Hilton Hotel in Paddington, you might know it, um, near, near M&S and sort of underground, like no natural light. Yep. Um, and yeah, very, very overpriced. I was like, this is mental. There's so much great space around like the UK. Um, and yeah, so Benji and I were like, oh, we've got to be able to build like a platform where you can list venues and, um, and people can find and book them just like Skyscanner or, or booking.com. So that's sort of where the, where the concept first came from. And we thought it'd be very easy. It wasn't quite so easy, but that's, uh, it seemed a very basic concept at, at the time. One of my first jobs in politics was uh, doing events for Boris Johnson on his 2008 <laughs> mayoral campaign. And you're right, like, it is really hard like to, to yeah. kind of like find suitable space for lots of reasons with Boris. But yeah, it's always a, um, a challenge. So who's, who's the product for? Is it for businesses or is it for consumers as well? For both. Uh, so the, the, the vision has always been to be, you know, the household name, the go-to place where you can find a venue for anything from a birthday party to a wedding, to a meeting, to a conference, to an office party. Um, and actually for most of the time that we've been around, we have been roughly 50-50 on uh, consumer and business customers. So um, yeah, we wanted to be able to serve both sides of the market. And to do the kind of classic venture question, what's the sort of size of the market like for this and and how many events are taking place across the UK at any given time? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So the market, I mean, it's constantly changing um, and it, there's actually not a lot of uh, data on the whole kind of consumer side of the market. Over 2 million business events that happen every year and those are just the, those, the kind of mid-range size events that we might see go go through the the platform. Like currently we have roughly 200,000 people searching every month um, on VenueScanner wow. for different different event types and we're still scratching the surface really of um of what's what's in market can you give us an example of some of the more sort of because it's one of the things that i think about is actually like events and the amount of events that are taking place are dramatically increasing it's partly because it's become a lot easier to organize these things now you know you do just need a website you know it's not like you need to sort of manually invite people as it were so so much of it is happening and it's a real kind of differentiator for businesses trying to put on good events. But what are some of the kind of crazier events that you've had requested? Crazier events that we've had requested. It re- it ranges very significantly. At, at the moment, we're looking at a, there's an eight week long event that's sort of a like pop up type festival that a big, big companies um looking to put on in in London and they're an international company and so that's obviously kind of quite extreme planning and then we'll have quite a lot of fitness like fitness events and workshops that that go through see all of the kind of standard company events um and celebrations that that people do we're seeing a very big increase in people doing different types of company off-sites and and gathering as people become a bit more flexible in their working styles um getting whole companies together uh, a couple of times a year mm, versus yeah. everyone being in the in the same place i think it's going to be one of, that is one of the big sort of future of work trends post pandemic actually we recently did a youtube video on it and i think it's really interesting in terms of like because a lot of white collar jobs aren't in the office as much that kind of culture is getting harder to kind of mesh and you do that through sort of more planned organized away days how long are you seeing people go away for because that's the other thing that i've noticed a a, a bit happening more is sort of overnights and people saying right well we're going to ask for three days of your time but you know the rest of the time you can work remotely or as flexibly as you want yeah two three days is probably the average where people are having multi multi days um but we have seen longer where people where companies will take one week a quarter to take their teams away and then you know three of those days will have content and the other days are kind of free time and that actually seems to be becoming more important for colleagues to be able to you know and interact with each other and have the version of the water cooler event that would happen in the office but actually in their off in their off-site so allowing for ad hoc kind of unplanned conversations as well as organized content and are you helping with the curation of any of those at all or is that you separate a, a little bit not um we we've we've started a new part of the business called venue scanner retreats and in that we're doing quite a bit more around advice on kind of content and good structure pl- um helping people to book accommodation and also um extra like activities and other things that make the event not just the venue but that's kind of the only part of the business where we're doing that at the moment Oh, that's pretty, uh, pretty exciting. And what other sort of trends are you seeing? You were sort of recently quoted in the Sunday Times off the back of the CBI scandal and all the challenges that they've had around there. I mean, that all centers around sort of a, a Christmas party or a lot of the allegations do. What were you saying in that Sunday Times piece? 
Yeah, there's there's a few different things that we've that that we've seen. It's always quite hard to link trends exactly to kind of hi- historic occasions, but we're we're seeing um, a lot of people want to do less drinking focused events. So I think some of that is is based on how companies can kind of manage, um, yeah, sort of health and safety of employees and company culture and that sort of thing. But also we're seeing the kind of next generation actually drinking a lot less than um, than maybe we saw sort of five ten years ago. So lots more around. Um, activities we see people asking for things like candle making and like axe throwing and um looking at doing more physical activities and more uh, like speaker events learning activities we see we see a lot of um like desire for people to want to kind of like create together and build together and work together as well as do that kind of go out and have a party um drinking side so that's been that's definitely a trend that we've been seeing and a lot more of um like one day um events as well so for companies getting teams together whereas maybe historically it would have been like let's all go down to the pub now it's like let's get a creative space for a room have an have a nice lunch in the middle of the day but like have activities each side of it where we're doing a bit of workshop content and then a bit of like an activity scavenger hunt or whatever it might be in the in the afternoon so those are the two things that i was talking about in that article and and that we have been um been seeing but so it's almost becoming a bit more like the sort of the traditional kind of team building sort of, you know, the kind of things, you know, raft building and all that type of side of things yeah. as well. It's becoming a lot more creative. It's really interesting. And what do you see when you've been building this? So you went from, um, you know, the kind of retail world, Marks and Spencer, but you also kind of um, did a lot of marketing with Naked Wines, et cetera. How has that led you to doing and building Venue Scanner? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's there's quite a few different uh, dynamics that go into that. I think one of the things that I've always been very like, passionate and excited by, and um, and still uh, am to date in the business, is um, the kind of data and, and e-commerce side of of the marketplace. So, um, what, one of the things is that all of the venues, um, you know, across the UK, but also across the world, are super um, like disaggregated and spread and don't have a lot of digital marketing capability and my background in um from majestic and naked was very focused around digital marketing so being able to give kind of venues and suppliers um kind of more independent a platform to be able to market themselves and figure out how we can kind of um market online um supply I, i was always super interested um in and then the data side i've always been um very interested in as well so the um, I, I did a lot of data work at M&S and then also at, at uh, Majestic Naked Wines around sort of how you acquire customers and how you match customers to the right products. And the the big challenge in our business has been, um, you know, how do you how do you match the right customer to the right venue, you know, at the right time and get the right amount of supply in the right regions to what the demand is. So, you know, people searching for meeting rooms in Soho versus, you know, warehouses in Shoreditch or whatever it might be so that that kind of like data nuance of of connecting um the points I've always um yeah really enjoyed and uh did a lot of that before um and then from a marketing side learned a huge amount from Rowan Gormley who I worked for at Naked Wines so that was a big uh, like inspiration to a lot of the uh, way that I've built that new scanner as well yeah it's uh you know, well, it's pretty amazing what uh, Rowan's built and what surprised you most about the data when you started out this journey you said you've enjoyed using data most what's kind of 
taken you by surprise most? Um, it's a good question. I think initially was probably surprised at how interested all the venues were in listing and working with us. You know, keep in mind we had no brand awareness. Um, you know, really we we were just a startup with with nothing. Um, and the way that we got most venues to list was just through these this email system that we built and emailed them all saying like, hey, we want to build this marketplace and get you customers. Like, will you list? It will be free. Um, and got a very big uptake from that, which I think initially was surprising. Um, but then the on the demand side, probably the most surprising thing has been, I think just like the vast number of different types of events that actually happen. I remember when we first started our shareholders being like, what are the key events? We were like, there's like hundreds. We need to figure out how to categorize the data because um, there are just like more than you could imagine. Um, yes one of my favorite ones is always the sort of the amount of award ceremonies that there seems to be now and the fact that there is an award ceremony for award (laughs) ceremonies which is my (laughs) all-time favorite one Um, which uh made me laugh but of course in the middle of all building all this you've had the pandemic which wasn't great for events so how did you manage that yeah the pandemic definitely hit us uh, by surprise and pretty hard. We uh, we were actually um, we just had a, a really big growth period um, before the pandemic. So we sort of cracked the business model and um, started on a sort of thirty percent month to month growth rate from August twenty nineteen through March twenty twenty. So we just just off um, profit margin and just off doing like a pretty big investment round. But that also meant that we were very very low on cash in the bank um, at that point in time had 35 people or so in the team um, and just all of our metrics dropped 95% off the bat on the day um, and we like would have died pretty much within within the months or within two months if we didn't take um, relatively drastic uh, drastic action. So we decided to just um, pretty much put the whole business on deep freeze and took some very tough decisions up front on letting people go and lots of those people were you know people brought in right from the beginning and were close to so that was um like that personal side of it was was very difficult and then it obviously as we all know it went on a huge amount longer than any of us expected I think we thought you know three months four months but not enough too long for us to stay alive as we were and um to predict so i think that the period of um sort of just keeping keeping going and keeping the people that we retained um kind of motivated and supporting all of our customers we had lots of subscribing venues at that time as well so we froze all subscription payments and that was probably one of the other big decisions that we took to like not actually not take any revenue that we could have taken um, because we wanted to make sure that the venues obviously survived and that we were helping our customers as much as we possibly could. So is that how the business model slightly works then since the pandemic as well as that restarted that venues also pay to be on the platform as well? Yeah, so it's actually free for organisers. So anyone that's booking, there's no cost, and then the venues pay a monthly or annual subscription to be part of VenueScatter. Okay, cool. And tell us about the jobs. You talked there about having 35 people at one stage. Like, what are the jobs that are that you have created? You know, are there people that 
sole job it is presumably is to go out and scout you know the most exciting venues in london yeah exactly yeah so we're back back of that size uh now and you know the business kind of recovered recovered pretty well um and yeah they, we've got uh six people who go and find yeah, like amazing new venues and different locations to bring them onto the platform and uh, make sure that we have the best curated supply for for bookers and then we have a bookings team that um supports customers if they need help with their events so you know like you're asking kind of any advice um but also helping with pricing negotiation or you know often people it's not really their main job organizing events so like we have built tools will help with things like oh how much budget do you actually need for the size of event or you know what are the what are the other things that you might want to to consider so um they help there and then we have like product engineering marketing operation the the classics the classic sort of (laughs) startup deals and what what did um yeah i just Going back to the pandemic, like how did you kind of navigate through that two years? Because I mean, I've, I know you've raised a bit of money, which is also something that I want to ask about as well. But like, you know, like you say, we opened up, we closed down, we opened up. It was it was tough, right, for events and yeah. the kind of hospitality industry. Yeah, the stop start was very difficult. The people knowing exactly what they kind of could and couldn't do at certain times as well was something that we found had quite a lot of. Um, uh, venues and customers trying to understand like what 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 was okay what wasn't okay and also predicting there was a lot of people like booking for oh we want to do something in three months out but then it would be six months out like, loads and loads of time moving moving around um obviously the omicron then had like a second um big hit to the, to the industry but to answer your question on how we how we sort of navigated through it i think definitely just taking one step at a time which almost we were forced to do because no one could see very far in the future but I think we were quite conscious to be like actually let's just figure out what we need to do now with any knowledge that we have um, and try and make the best decisions that we can from from where we are another thing we had was we quite early on established a principle of saying you know we, we we still want to exist as a business in doing event booking we don't want to pivot to do something else um you know we're not going to go into build a whole virtual events business or um you know go in a different route according to what was happening right now and actually do the relatively difficult thing especially uh, for entrepreneurs which is sort of like patiently wait until (laughs) it ends to revive um the thing that that we um that we wanted to do so yeah, that was that was um, like difficult, but actually quite important in coming out of it as well, because we were able to put resources like straight back into what we already knew and rebuilding with a couple of trends that we thought might stick. So I think sort of deciphering like what was here to stay and what was just going to be whilst the pandemic was kind of very um, prevalent was um, was something that was like difficult but important. Um, and then we just really focused on like personal care and health and well-being like everyone like everyone did I think which was like for yeah certainly myself and 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 the team just like how you sort of build resilience and um kind of keep keep going really and presumably then as well like when everything sort of did get lifted you've presumably seen a big surge I mean I we were talking earlier just like the amounts of media companies now that are running events and, and all sorts you know I see I events invitation folders up kind of tenfold to speak and attend at these things right like you must be seeing a a huge surge 
yeah, actually post beginning of 21, it really started surging um, a lot. And since then, um, yeah, the demand's been really high. I mean, we, in 2022, we were three times uh, bigger in turnover than in 2019. And, you know, that was from a Coles restart um, out, out out of the pandemic. So, yeah, it's definitely an increase in demand. For sure, some different, like some shifts around the types of things that people are doing. Um, but it's definitely, there was a point in time where everyone was saying, like, real-life events are never going to come back and it's only going to be virtual and, you know, people aren't going to want to, like, leave their homes and do anything. But luckily, none of those um, <laughs> stuck and we've learned that humans <laughs> from the dark ages have remained social creatures, luckily, <laughs> except <laughs> for us. <laughs> Having done 100 episodes of this podcast now, it's one of the most interesting things I get asked is, like, well, what do you think the future's going to look like etc and it is that the sort of counterintuitive thing that i say to people at points is like there obviously is enormous disruption coming with ai etc etc but fundamentally business and entrepreneurship is about being able to create a product for less than you can sell it and to be able to get the marketing to be able to get it in front of people to sell it and actually, like, that's quite a big thing. And none of that, has all the tools have changed to do that. That's what's changing. The actual sort of skills, like, aren't the way we're doing it. And I think it's sort of, yeah, it's definitely been one of my kind of big realizations. So th- tell us about yeah. some of the, like, interesting events that, you know, you've been putting on. Like, what are the kind of best case studies that Venue Scan has done? <laughs> one of the best case studies. Um what are their most interesting events recently? I think definitely there's been quite a lot of, um, we've seen, we didn't have very many global events before. And in the last year, we've had people going to like all sorts of um, cities all over the world for, um, yeah, their kind of like company, company get togethers. And I think we don't want to, Athens, New York, like Lisbon, Barcelona. So lots and lots of um those which have looked which have looked fun we've had quite a few like pop-up events lots of people looking more at like sustainability events as well so say like finding venues that are really sustainable and um sort of demonstrating it's demonstrating their um initiatives through um those types of venues as well um what else have we had yeah on the consumer side to be honest we've actually just seen this like after the pandemic there was just this huge surge and things like birthday parties and just people like having random celebrations of just being alive you know <laughs> why not and why not <laughs> yeah so what what do the sort of venue sizes range from you know let's say there was a podcast that was looking at various different live events uh uh venues and trying to work out how to do it and trying to segment the market size what mm. is the kind of range that you've got available? Yeah, it would be a sort of three a three person meeting room or studio for a kind of photo shoot type type event to up to a probably two thousand person um, warehouse type type space or conference center, um, big hotels that sort of thing. So yeah, the, the average size would be it's around eighty to one hundred, but okay. yeah, big range. That's really, uh, really interesting. And tell us about the sort of um, raising money and and how you kind of found it as a female founder, etc. I mean, Greg Marsh was obviously I mentioned in the introduction, you know, sort of passed the mic to you. But yeah, tell us about that experience of of raising capital. Yeah, so we've been. Um, I mean, I feel very fortunate with our investor investor base. We've been um, 
really lucky with, uh, we've got a great group of shareholders who are incredibly supportive. And I think 95% of our shareholders reinvested after the pandemic for us to rebuild the company. So um, really, yeah, we've got predominantly angel investors. Yeah, exactly. Greg Marsh is one of them. And he's brought, brought on um, or introduced us to other investors as well. And um, Tom Singh, who is a founder of New Look, is our kind of biggest shareholder from from the early early days. And um, the British Business Bank came in um, alongside him by the Angel Co-Fund. So we've then got 42 shareholders at the moment who are all um, yeah, from different backgrounds, people that have built businesses, people who are in finance, um, family offices. Um, so we've done a lot of, uh, most of my fundraising or the investment raising that we've done has been through quite a lot of um, individual hustle through like sending people hundreds of emails or LinkedIn messages. <laughs> so Craig won't have told the story, but I think we have a joke that I think I'd sent him 17 emails before he responded to me <laughs> asking him <laughs> to see my pitch. Um, and, uh, yeah, so lots of, um, yeah, what, what, what was the difference in the seven? What was the difference in the 17th one? How, how did it, how did it go? It was just luck. Whenever people say to me, uh, um, oh, you should never send more than three emails. There's this amazing thing in email marketing when actually it spikes at eight, it spikes at 12, and then it spikes again at like 20. It's crazy. Right. Like people just at some point open open an email. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, there's probably some different marketing mechanics now that I'm less aware of. Uh, oh, it's <laughs> chat GPT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so, well, tell us a bit more about... Um, yeah, about it. And how did it go with, with Greg and whatever? I mean, he was very effusive in his, his in his praise for you when he came on the show earlier in the year. And Greg's quite yeah, a hard man to impress. Like, you know, he's got a pretty <laughs> impressive background. Yeah, that's 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 true. He's um yeah, I think with well, I did a lot of outreach and we did we've done quite a few rounds, so each time sort of um going through LinkedIn and emailing and then pitching pitch to people. I think the process is definitely is is and has been and is for everyone. Um, you know, it's, it's relentless fundraising. You you have to be prepared to get a hundred no's before you get a yes. And I think that first part of the journey, although it's great to be able to not take too much money too fast, I think, um, so that you know that you're really working for the customer and you know that you can make revenue. Um but you do get that, build that like resilience quite quickly because you have had so many people telling you that your idea is terrible or all the reasons why it is or all the reasons why they want to say no before you get somebody who, who says, who says yes. So, um, that was, a that we went down that, that process like, like everyone else did. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, Greg, um, is ha- great marketplace background and loads of experience there. So we were able to have pr- pretty good discussions around, um, you know, the unit economics of the business quite early on and how it work. And, um, and then I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned around shareholders investing again or growing over time is if you get that first kind of investment in and, um, you do hopefully broadly what you plan to do with it, but everything changes so much and startups and, you know, COVID being a prime example, you just can't control a lot of the external environment. So I think sort of that part of like how you actually react to it and um you know what what you're doing at each point when you get pushed off plan or you go off plan um to 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 kind of resolve and and stay on what you're trying to achieve um is probably something that that has been really important for us and enabled us to um have the support of our shareholders um kind of ongoing 
Amazing. All right, and a few quick fires for you to finish with. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. What was your first job? Oh, my first ever job. Yeah. First I actually went in a call centre at a hospital. Ah. As what? As a 999 person or...? <laughs> Not quite. But I was yeah, taking the patient patient calls and mm-hmm. um, yeah, booking people in for visits. Um, Favourite book that you've read recently? Oh... What's the favourite book that I've read recently? Um, uh, good to Great was a good one that I read recently. Yeah, yeah, Jim Collins, yeah. Um, favourite venue? Oh, favourite venue. Um, like asking you to choose your favourite child. <laughs> There's actually um, a very cool restaurant called Tattoo, which I went to recently, that is uh, newly opened in Tottenham Court Road. And that, that was a very cool, very cool space. Great views, great music, great food, like incredible space. Favourite event? Favourite event, what that we've had recently. Yeah. I have to say, I have to say our, we took our team away to Brighton for two days last week. So if oh, I don't yeah. say that, it would be terrible. We booked it obviously through Venue Scanner, um, but that has got to be their favourite. Yeah, event. yeah. No, no, that's, that's just, and a big pressure on you to organise a good one as well, given whereabouts were you <laughs> exactly. in Brighton? Whereabouts were you in Brighton then? Uh, we're about 20, 20 minutes away from um, from Brighton in this like sort of beautiful Airbnb type venue in the in the countryside with sea views and um, you know we did three days of um, hackathons and various things like that. that plenty, of, plenty of play with ChatGPT. Um, exactly. <laughs> and um, one last question: If you could uh, pass the mic to another entrepreneur that we may not have come across yet, who should we get in touch with? So. Uh, a girl called Imogen Weatherard um, is a great, a great person that I would recommend um, for the podcast. She's a, a brilliant entrepreneur. Started her business Kudini um, straight out of university, so um, had has been, had been building from um, right from education. And uh, over the last twelve months, she's juggled sort of getting married, having a baby, selling the business, um, all in a sort of six month six month period. Um, so has a great story around. Um, around that process and think, you know, has juggled everything in a very admirable way, which is a great example to other women that you kind of can have it all and inspire those, the young uh, guys who are studying how to build something without any work experience at all. Definitely. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. If you, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. Sounds like yeah. stretching <laughs> that to the, uh, the breaking point. But uh, no, that's been brilliant. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's been brilliant to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok, And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.